Brother, you're one of the the people uh, in religious life that uh, many of us trust and that many of us, uh, not only do we trust, uh, we admire and we respect. And I thought that you would find this interesting uh, and maybe even encouraging. Last night at the exaltation of the Holy Cross Mass, in the midst of traditionis custodis, uh, or custodis traditionis, um, Bishop Gregory Amon, the Archbishop of the Archdiocese of New Orleans, and he knew it was going to happen, he knew it, allowed Father Damien to, because we didn't have use of our Our Lady of Mount Carmel Chapel where you went to Mass with us, the Mr. Fish store, because the Hispanic community, the Spanish community in our, our, our area, uh, they use it on Tuesday nights. Um, we moved our exaltation of the Holy Cross Mass to the oldest uh, basilica on the North Shore, and that is Our Lady of the Lake, built in 1878. A stunning, beautiful basilica. Uh, it is, I, the beauty of it, I, I, I can't tell you enough. It has a real authentic choir loft and a whole shebang. Um, so that's one thing. So the mass has moved. This is during this. <laughs> I'm going to have to, I, I'm guessing, in opposition to, to uh, Custodes Traditionis. And then uh, Father Damien gets up and then he mentions this. And he says, then he points to, to a, a statue and he says, we're under the care of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And any of you that doubted it, uh, see today. And then he said something that I thought was uh, the most hopeful thing I've heard. He was talking about wearing uh, the exaltation of the Holy Cross. He was talking about uh, wearing crucifixes. And he even said, if you, uh, if some, if you work in a place where you wear your crucifix outside your clothing and your employer tells you that you can't do that, uh, he goes, go wherever you can and get a bigger one <laughs> and go back the next day. You shouldn't be employed by someone. Uh, uh, you shouldn't be uh, working for someone that has that attitude. And then he went on to say, especially here in Louisiana, and he started listing these things, and he goes like, this is... Probably is, and he called himself. He goes, No, it is. It is the most Catholic state in the entire United States of America. If we can't make a stand for the faith here, we can't make it anywhere. It's improper to do so, but I know I wasn't alone, and 200 some odd people wanted to stand up and give a standing ovation and say, you know, huzzah, 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 we're all in. I just thought I would share that story with you to kick off Wisdom Wednesday. That's a great story, Mike. I love it. We need I mean, it, it. It is. I mean, I mean, it, it, yeah. He's got a point. You shouldn't be afraid to profess your faith ever. But if you're going to be afraid to profess it in a in a place which has such a such a long standing Catholic history, you're really pathetic. No, no, I agree. And we need to start thinking in thing in terms like that. Last hour, Suzanne Sammons was on. And Suzanne Sammons, uh, the, the wife of Eric Sammons, editor of Crisis Magazine, and Suzanne said, look, we just have to start conforming our mind into reality. There are certain occupations in this modern, sick, twisted, evil world that Catholics just can't be in. And that's just the long and short of it. Yeah, Absolutely. So it's, it's 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 coming more and more uh, to that. I'm afraid. And, and and then 
And then Suzanne said, maybe then there's some things that we should be thankful for for uh, to COVID. That, or not for COVID. Like, for example, the turn towards holistic medicine. The turn towards uh, people trying to grow their own food and their own livestock. Going like, I don't want to be reliant on this grid any longer here. Um uh, you know, with your personal situation there, with what's happened to you and the brothers and sisters in your community in Richmond, New Hampshire, um, uh, there was an effort made basically to eliminate the, the center. Uh, here we're coming up on three years now. Uh, that hasn't happened, thank God. And I know you've told me and you've said it on this show before that much good has come out of the tribulation um, and the vicissitudes that have been heaped upon the center I think much good actually will come out of the vicissitudes and the and and just the diabolical uh, 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 actions against many of the faithful that have been heaped upon us thanks thanks to the Corona doom. What say you? Oh, I've been saying that for a while. I I absolutely agree. That, um, I mean, first of all, I think people realize a lot of people are waking up to who they can and can't trust, and they realize they. They can't trust the medical establishment. Nope. They realize they can't trust the quote-unquote scientific establishment. They realize they can't trust the government. And, you know, when you, when when people are looking into, um, you know, gee, uh, you know, how is it that the government would mislead us on medical questions? Well, I don't know. Maybe they've been doing it for decades. Maybe they've been part of the eugenic movement for literally for decades you know, maybe when Oliver Wendell Holmes said three generations of imbeciles is enough and therefore we can we can safely contracept people against their will. You know, maybe, maybe they were doing it then. Maybe they were always in the tank with these people. Maybe these elite oligarchs who think that they're uh, superior human beings to the rest of us poor common slobs um, have always thought that they could somehow get rid of us for their own advancement or turn us into sort of their chattel. Uh, I mean, this, you know, you, when you do the real research and you find out what the what these people have been doing for decades, for darn near 100 years, um, then, you know, you'll realize that we should, never should have trusted them all along. It's, it's like looking at the tomfoolery that just happened in Afghanistan and realizing, well, wait a minute, that's just the tip of the iceberg. We've been. We've been messing in the Middle East for uh, the United States has been messing in the Middle East for the better part of a century. And before us, the Brits did. We just took over from where the Brits left off. So uh, and this is what has created the monster that we're dealing with in the Middle East. So, in other words, I think these when the crisis comes home to roost, then it could wake us up to realizing, hey, this is. Um, you know, the, 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 this is part of a continuum historically, and we should realize that, uh, yeah, we do have enemies, and they are deeply entrenched in, in government. Completely, absolutely, and totally. Brother Andre Marie from the St. Benedict Center and host of Reconquest Radio on our Dude Maker Skype line here today for our regular Wisdom Wednesday uh, segment here. And a lot of wisdom to talk about here today. Let's start with uh, with, with, with this, uh, brother, since we talked a little bit about this last week. Uh, today is the uh, the seven sorrows of, uh, uh, of the Blessed Virgin today. Uh, the day after the exaltation of the Holy Cross, correct? Correct. And uh, today is, and then you sent me an article at Catholicism.org, what's in the prayer 
the seven sorrows of the Blessed Virgin uh, Mary. We talked a little bit about this last week uh, on Last Wisdom Wednesday. What can we add today? Well, I think we talked about it a couple. I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago because it was at the beginning of September. I'm pretty sure. That's right. I asked um, you if September was the month of the seven sorrows, and you said yes. Yeah. So, um, well, what I, what I, you know, as you probably know, I think I may have mentioned it to you on air. Um, a little project that I've been doing recently, and it's it's not that too complicated, but. Um, a couple times a week, I think it's probably averaging like three times a week uh, since I started it. Uh, I'm putting this sort of ongoing series on our website called What's in That Prayer. And it's always what's in that prayer and then followed by the, the Sunday, the name of the Sunday or the name of the feast day or something like that. So um, today's, uh, which I put up last night, is called What's in That Prayer, The Seven Sires of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And what I do for each one of these, because I'm forcing myself now, as a Latin teacher, I'm forcing myself to do more translation work. Um, so I'm forcing myself to do very accurate translations of, the, of these collects, mm. you know, these orations. And, what, and what, we, what I realized when I started to do this is there's so much rich uh, doctrine, theology, devotion, um, uh, food for your spiritual life in the church's official orations. And, and I realized, too, I said, you know, so we got people hating on tradition now, and we don't need to say who's hating on it, <laughs> but we got people hating good and hard and out loud on <laughs> tradition right now. And the best way, the best way to counter that isn't by hating on them. The best way to counter that is by loving what they hate. And th that, to me, is the Catholic solution. There you go. So, so I said, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna put up little commentaries on these orations. And again, the orations are super rich. They're just soaked, you know, pickled in true doctrine. And and in a way that when you compare them to the orations of the New Rite, remember, some some people stupidly thought, as I did when when I was in college and I didn't know any better. Uh, when, when, when I first went to my first Latin mass, I thought, well, gee, the Latin mass, that's just, you know, they just, they just, it, the only difference is they translated it from Latin into English in the new rite, And then they, you know, turned the altar around. Well, boy, boy, was I stupid. Um, and, and interestingly in that new documentary that came out, um, that, that, that young, uh, Catholic gentleman, family man who, Produced that documentary about um, what's it called, the Mass of the Ages. Mass of the Mass of the Ages. Yeah, so uh, we saw it, and um, uh, I was impressed. Um, but he, he, Father, the, the Father, what's his name, J uh, Jackson, the priest who wrote the book, N Nothing Superfluous. He said he said that's what he thought too. So I felt you know, and he here he was a priest who you know he he converted to tradition as a priest. But okay, so the reason I bring that up is because no, there's so much more. Eighty percent of the prayers, and I mean eighty percent of the um, propers that go with the liturgical calendar, were gutted. So that what's what's left in the Novus Ordo is a mere twenty percent of the prayers uh, of the traditional rite. And when I say prayers, I don't mean the I don't mean the ordinary of the mass, the parts that don't change. I mean the parts that do change with mm. the different feast days and Sundays and so forth. So it was a gutting job. I mean, I mean, less, you know, 
uh, one fifth of what was there before remains, and you can't speak of that as continuity. Um, that's like that's like having a having a shirt and and like keeping a little patch of the shirt and sticking it on a totally different shirt and saying, yeah, it's the same shirt. It's shirt. It's a perfect continuity. Um, anyway, sloppy sloppy metaphor, but whatever, it'll work. Simile. Anyway, so uh, what I realized was these prayers are so rich that in a prayer of just a couple of sentences. It implies it's got so much doctrine buried in it that it's nice to unpack that stuff for people. So that's what I did. And uh, I pointed out that today's collect. Well, let me just read the collect. I'll read my translation. Okay. Uh, okay. So the collect for today, the oration for today is, O God, in whose passion, according to the prophecy of Simeon, a sword of sorrow has pierced the most sweet soul of the glorious virgin and mother Mary. Grant, we beseech thee, that we who recall her venerable sorrows may arrive at the happy effects of thy passion. Now, the first thing I notice about that oration is that it's one of the few that's directed uh, to the sun. So most of the uh, orations that the church uses uh, in the, in the mass. First of all, we, it's interesting. Uh, let me just say this. We never pray directly to a saint during the mass. Sometimes in the office we do, depending upon, especially if it's our lady, depending upon, uh, whether the, um, say the Benedictus Antiphon is a direct prayer to our lady, but most, but most often the prayers are directed, uh, in the mass, it's always directed to God. And most of the Mass is directed, at least in the Roman Rite, the traditional Rite, most of the Mass is directed towards the Father through the Son and in the unity of the Holy Ghost. That's how they're most, that's how most of them do. By the way, there's an argument about Ember Days in the, in the room, in the chat room. I'll, yeah. I'll settle that in a minute. Please do. I have the answer. I have the answer. But... But most of the prayers go to the Father, right? And that's important because when, the, when, and in fact, at at the during the Roman Canon, you know, the most holy part of the Mass, the um, all of the prayers are directed to the Father, uh, and that's very different than like the Eastern rites. But that's just a Roman thing, and there are reasons for it. But when you look at the orations, most of them too are directed to the Father, and that's why they always end with. Uh, uh, that formula through Jesus Christ, thy son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the Holy Ghost, one God, world without end. Amen. Right? So, you know, the prayer is directed to the Father. But this prayer ends with a different, um, with a different uh, uh, formula. And the prayer that end, it, it ends with is who liveth and reignest with God the Father in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. Meaning that the whole prayer was directed toward the Son. And okay, so but you you pick out why right away because it says, "O God, in whose suffering the prophecy of Simeon was fulfilled." Well, as soon as you direct, as soon as you're addressing God and referring to His suffering, you know that you're talking about the second person. So this is a Christological and probably a Trinitarian question, because God the Holy Ghost and God the Father cannot suffer. And the only reason we can refer to the sufferings of God the Son 
is because he took upon himself human nature. His divine nature did not suffer. The suffering of the person happened through the human nature. Mm. And this is just Christological orthodoxy. Um, and this is really, 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 really important because uh, if you get this wrong, well, it implies various heresies. Um, first of all, it's fundamental to the divine nature that he's impassable, right? God is impassable, which means God cannot suffer. Uh, if God could suffer, then he wouldn't be God. Y uh, yet, the, we speak of our Lord's passion, which implies, I mean, more than implies linguistically, because it's the same word etymologically, implies that he can suffer. That's what passion means. Um, the passion of our Lord is his suffering. So how can we say he's impassable, yet he suffers? Well, it's only by virtue of the incarnation. It's only by the virtue that by virtue of the fact that in addition to his eternal, impassable nature as God, he took upon himself through the Blessed Virgin Mary a passable nature, a nature that can suffer. So this is simply Christological orthodoxy. And, um, and uh, yeah, there's more to the prayer than that, but there's a neat play on words that I didn't even bring out in, in my little commentary here. And that is a play, not a play on words as much as a play on ideas. And it's contrasting um, happiness with sorrow. And it, because towards the end of the prayer, it says that, that we who recall her venerable sorrows may arrive at the happy effect of thy passion. So there's happiness implicit in this thing because the... It's not all about sorrow, like there will always be sorrow and only sorrow, per omnia secula seculorum. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is this sorrow was a means to an end, the end being the salvation of the human race, the end being us being able to partake of those happy effects uh, of that passion. So um, the prayer is rich, and um, I, I also bring out the fact that I think we talked about it earlier a couple of weeks ago. And that is that there is this partnership between Jesus and Mary. And w the reason we venerate Our Lady as Mother of Sorrows is because her sorrows contribute to the redemption. No, she's not the redeemer of the human race. That would be, that would be heresy to say that. Jesus uniquely is the redeemer of the human race. But in and under Jesus Christ, Our Lady can assist. And that's what she did at the foot of the cross. And at the foot of the cross, the church was born, right, with the blood of the Eucharist and the, the water of baptism. And uh, when she was suffering at the foot of the cross, she felt that pain. When, 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 okay, so the, the sword of, uh, rather, the lance of Longinus goes into the sacred heart of Jesus, right? Right. He was dead. <clears throat> he was, at that point, he had, he had, he, he had died. And uh, in order to make sure that he died, Longinus, instead of breaking a bone, as they normally did, they broke their, their bones of their legs so that they would suffocate based upon the way they were hanging on the cross. It's it, so they couldn't push themselves up. They couldn't elevate themselves because their legs were broken. Exactly. So they would definitely die. It would expedite their death. Uh, sorry, expedite. I said an ignorant word. It would expedite their death. <laughs> and... Um, and because of that, um, when, you know, it, 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 was, it was prophesied, remember, that not a bone of his body should be broken. 
which is kind of a prodigious thing when you consider the brutality of the passion. Mm -hmm. But uh, when, when instead of breaking his bones, when Longinus went to make sure that he was dead, he did this bizarre thing and pierced uh, his side. And the, but here's, here's the mystical reality of what happens there. So he pierces his side and the blood and water come out. But the mystical reality of what's going on there is that when the lance of Longinus goes into our Lord's side, the sword of Semyon enters into the Immaculate Heart of Mary. So she suffered that pain that Simeon prophesied way back at the presentation of Jesus in the temple and, and at the purification, you know, your birthday mystery, February 2nd. Yep. When... When Simeon told the Blessed Virgin, thine own soul a sword shall pierce, that out of many hearts thoughts may be revealed. When that happened, that, that was ultimately fulfilled at the foot of the cross. I mean, all of her seven sorrows and the ones we don't bother to count, all of those sorrows were, were united to, to that and, and bring about those thoughts from our hearts. But the one that consummated them all was at the foot of the cross when she was, was co-redemptrix. Um, and so when the, when the, when the lance of Longinus pierces the sacred heart of Jesus and the blood and water come out, that's when the church is born. And that's when she suffers the pangs of childbirth, which she never suffered when she gave birth to Jesus. She was spared that. But, but when she gave birth to the rest of us, that is the church, his members at the foot of the cross, well, that's when she suffered pain, and that's when ultimately that that sword of Simeon goes through her soul or her immaculate heart. That that's what's symbolized in our habit, by the way, with, with the, that image of the sword through the heart. So, um, you know, we, we we that's why we venerate her, and that's why we we we're venerating her just as we uh, adore the passion of our Lord. It's a divine thing because it's a divine person. We venerate the compassion of Mary at the foot of the cross, and that's what this is all about. Um, so there it is. I think that's a summary of my commentary and a little bit more. Uh, brother, you got all that in one written piece? <laughs> well, I was winging it a little bit now. I, I mean, the, 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 the contrast between the sorrows of the passion and the happiness of heaven, which I also noticed in the prayer. I didn't bother to write that one down because I'm trying to keep these things short. But I had most of it there. Okay. Uh, Brother Andre Marie from the St. Benedict Center on our Dubemaker Hotline for another Wisdom Wednesday here explaining uh, uh, or fleshing out the uh, uh, the beauty of individual uh, uh, prayers. And today on the seven sorrows of Mary, uh, of Our Lady, we get uh, the prayer that Brother uh, took from the colic that he just explained. Brother, you want to settle the controversy over whether uh, this is Ember Week or next week is Ember Week and why? Okay, okay. so 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 John the 23rd changed the way that Ember Weeks are being observed, and he, and he hitched it to, I think he hitched it to this feast. Um, no, he didn't. It used to be hitched to this feast, I think. Um, but he unhitched it, uh, from this feast so that in the, in the, in the, in the pre John the 23rd liturgy, uh, today would be the Ember day today, tomorrow, or today, rather Friday and Saturday would be the Ember days. But with the 62 liturgy, 
um, the Ember Days were, were were altered, and I think what they were what, what they were hitched to the seventeenth Sunday after Pentecost. I think that's how he did it. But there's always a week um, between them. I don't think they ever overlap. It's really weird. So so in the new calendar, I mean, yeah, in the sixty two calendar, the uh, Ember Days are this week. This is Ember Week. Following the, the, the pre-62 stuff, it's next week. That's why there's a conflict on some of these calendars. So, 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 the, so I mean, there are some of the faithful uh, in the chat room say, well, I follow the pre-55. Yeah, well, you, you go. You know, do it. You know, that's fine. Um, strictly speaking, the Ember Days aren't um, obligor- obligatory. Oh, thank you, Ali. Or see, IE, uh, IEE, if you're doing it in Latin. Uh, one of the chat chat room denizens pointed out that it's connected to the third week of September. Thank you. I, I hadn't done my Ember Day checkup just to find out how it is. Uh, yeah, so uh, Dusonia Underground is asking which one does SBC observe? Well, we observe this, the 62 one. So, um, but you know, it's not like it's a, it's a, it's an, it's obligatory to do that. So, so it's this week for you. No, it's next week. Oh, it's next week for you. Okay. Well, yeah. this and is. We'll it. be on pilgrim. We'll be on pilgrimage next week. Now, the, the, now, this is fascinating. But I can tell you that in the Archdiocese of Lake Charles, uh, Bishop John uh, Provost. Uh, sent a letter out to the parishioners. I know this because my mother-in-law is one, and she sent it to Mrs. O'Connell, and she read it to me yesterday, and he said that, and it was a beautifully worded letter. He was like, under my apostolic care, I'm asking you to, and he listed all the things, brother, you would approve. He goes, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday, total abstinence, no meat. Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday, if you're able, one meal. If you're so troubled by it that you need a snack, okay, fine. You're going to have two snacks, no other meals. I want you to turn off social media. He goes, I don't want to see or hear of any social media, any electronic media communications on this Ember Day. And I went, go, Bishop Provost. Now, now, what what diocese is this? This is Lake Charles. uh, Lake Charles. Okay. Well, good for him. Um, so yeah, we need when when the church returns to saner times. When, when the church, re- I'm sorry, when the church returns to a saner way of lo- looking at things, uh, and and clergymen are doing their jobs, uh, then w- th- this kind of thing will be more more frequent. We're g- we're going to have to go back to more penance to traditional penance. We're going to have to. So so brother, uh, <clears throat> there's there's some. Uh, astronomical, I almost said astrological, astronomical events that are in play. And I know this because you and I talked about this last spring. Uh, We know that Lent is based upon the cycles of the moon. Um, And one of the guys in the chat room is saying, well, uh, the Ember Days are are related uh, this season to the equinox. And I've been studying the equinox. It's something in my scientific history past that I didn't pay a lot of attention to. And now that I'm studying, I'm going like, wow, that's a really powerful thing that happens. Uh, maybe the church put it on the calendar. Well, they sure did, she sure did. And the equinox is when uh, uh, 
this, I, I don't know if this makes you a geocentrist or a heliocentrist. It, to me, it doesn't matter. But this, the Earth is at a 22.3 degree angle, that I can tell you. Uh, if you go North Pole to South Pole, draw a line through it, that's 22.3 degrees off center. She stays at that angle, whether the sun is going around us or we're going around the sun, when the northern hemisphere is at the angle and when the pole during the day is pointed towards the sun, that's spring and summer. When the pole during the day uh, of the angle, the 22.3 degree angle, is pointed away from the sun, that's fall and winter. There is a significant event that occurs on the 20th of September, and that is in the northern hemisphere, the sun, because of that angle again, actually drops below the line that is the, the imaginary line or the invisible line that is the equator. This is significant now because it has serious impact on the weather, obviously, but on other all manner of other things in God's providence, uh, fall will begin and winter, uh, winter is right after it. And it's not because of the distance of the sun from the earth. It's because of the angle uh, of penetration. And when the sun drops below the, the equator uh, uh, during the equinox, the further north you get, the less powerful sunlight you get. And this is why, and Richard Barrett left the chat room. Well, no, he may still be in there. This is why Barrett uh, said in his uh, Crusader Congress presentation to lower your expectations when it comes to solar power. This is one of the primary things. If you live above parallel 44 degrees, I look this up. It is 44 degrees on the latitude. If you live above 44 degrees on the latitude, I forget how many days, but it's not very far away. Uh, two to three weeks out from the equinox, brother, your body cannot make at any point during the day, it cannot make serum vitamin D3 if you're out in the sun. There's not enough powerful sunlight to hit your skin, even if you're out there totally naked all day long, you're not going to be able to make any vitamin D. This is important for us to know um, that when that happens, that you're going to have to rely on supplements, whether it's milk or uh, other foods that are rich in vitamin D, uh, to supplement your vitamin D. Uh, if you don't have the proper amount of vitamin D, Dr. Ryan Coles and many say, um, what we should call flu season is actually vitamin D deficiency season. Um, this is an important uh, thing to note. And it's something, though, that in God's providence, because we can mark these things on a calendar, uh, we can prepare for. You can get ready. Stock up on a vitamin D supplement. I don't know what a what a natural vitamin D-based uh, food is, but I'm sure someone out there does. Uh, and you're going to want to store a lot of that. I would imagine that before the modern age, before vitamin supplements, you knew these sorts of things. Uh, but I'm just uh, fascinated by, by that the equinox is coming. And if the ember days are tied to the equinox uh, and the equinox is on the 20, 20th, then I would say that ember is next week. Yeah, well, okay, so uh, in the tradition, somebody pointed out, Aaron uh, Okema pointed out in the chat room that the memoria technica for the remembering the ember days was lenti penti 
Cruxi Lucy. And Cruxi, of course, is the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross. So, yeah, the traditionally, before John the 23rd made that alteration, um, the, uh, the, the, the Feast of the Holy Cross is what preceded it. Now, the Ember Days aren't exact science, in this, but they are set generally at the Four Seasons. So that because they're meant to they're meant to um, sanctify priests because there's, those are traditionally ordination days. The Ember Saturday was a traditional day for ordinations to all the orders, um, and uh, and when they say all the orders, I mean the minor orders and the major orders. Um, but uh, when we talk about the, uh, the 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 other part of the Ember Days, that is to sanctify the seasons. So these are both there um, as part of it. Um, so those were those were those were more technical. I mean, those are the things that come out of Christendom when when people thought these things were important. Lucy, Penti, Cruxi, and Lucy. Of course, Lenti is a reference to Lent. Penti is a reference to Pentecost because it's during the Pentecost octave we have Ember Days. Cruxi yep. is today, Feast of the Holy, or yesterday, Feast of the Holy Cross. What's Lucy? Oh. Yeah, brother, you are you there? I think brother, I think we lost brother. And it, all right, done. Okay, you're back. What's Lucy? Are we still connected, Mike? No, you are. What's Lucy? Hello, brother. You're still connected. Oh, oh, good. Okay, sorry. I, I, I I'm, I'm worried about my Skype connection at this point. <laughs> no, you're good. I'm using the phone. Okay, good. So what's Lucy? So um, the Feast of St. Lucy. Okay. So Cruxi, Lucy, Lenti, Penti. <laughs> I never heard that. Uh, I'm going to commit it to memory now like it's a brother's grim. Well, 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 well don't, commit it to mem don't commit it to memory in that order. That's not right. But um, is but, it uh, Lenti, Penti, Lucy, uh, Cruxi, Lucy? That right? That's the right order? Yeah. Uh, Okay, so uh, Lenti, Penti, Cruxi, Lucy. Got it. Okay. Um, f one more fascinating thing about that that I find, because uh, we talk about this all the time. You can prove the faith uh, and much of the wisdom of the faith and, and, the, and the social, uh, certainly the moral, uh, the moral order of uh, the faith as we should be practicing it through natural law, through nature. Uh, what a coincidence that the Holy Catholic Church has this synchronicity, if you will, between the natural world, which has four seasons, and the spiritual world, which also has seasons and a calendar. Uh, I always think about that, and some people go like, why is that significant? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes the simplest things are the, the, the most important and most beautiful. I find that simple kind of uh, synchronicity again. Uh, I find that just, I, I can marvel at it. Like St. Like Chesterton says, St. Pras uh, Francis of Assisi could fall in a field or kneel in a field and then fall on his face and stare at a single blade of grass and contemplate God's creation for an entire day. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, and you know, and you know, if you talk about blessings in disguise um, with with the COVID nonsense, like you brought up earlier, mm -hmm. think of think of this particular angle of a blessing in disguise. 
we have been deracinated, we have been denatured, we have been dehumanized because we have been taken off the land. And, and it's not just that we've been city slickified. That's, that's, that's one thing. They were always cities. Cities were the places where civilization developed, you know, Chivitas being the Latin word for city and giving us the word for civilization, right? So there's nothing per se wrong with cities. But there was always a proportion to how many people were in the cities versus how many on the countryside. And people in the countryside were the ones that grew the food, right? And um, we, but we've been denatured because now food comes from like industrial plants or yep. you know uh, farms that have really been turned into industrial plants, as you very well know. But part of the whole, I think, providential nature of what's happening is with people like us here who have determined, and we're not alone in this town who have determined that we're going to grow our own food, or at least a good chunk of it, and be ready to sort of pivot to full-time food growing for all your food needs if it comes to that, at least supplementing with what your neighbors grow too. You know, you can trade and, and, and stuff so that you don't have to grow everything. But my, my point is, because people are doing that, we're, obser- we're observing things about nature. That's right. That that. I mean, I grew up in the burbs, which I hate. I hate the burbs. The, bur- the, the city's one thing. The, bur- the, the, the countryside's another. The suburbs, you've got n- neither of the advantages of the city or of the, or of the um, countryside. So here we are in the countryside. And, you know, I don't know if you're hearing that, that rooster that won't shut up. But we've got <laughs> roosters not too far from my window here. And my window's open because it's a beautiful day. And, you know, we've got like, I don't know. A hundred something birds roaming around these this land right now. They're just they're just they're just free ranging all over our main campus at this point. And we've got I mean the pigs, Mike. We're up to like seventy something pigs at this point. Wow! All the, pig, all the piglets that just got birthed. Um, but the interesting thing is, Maggie wants to know if she can take a piglet home with her. <laughs> so what, what, what did you said. say? What, what I said you... was so I should expect bacon at the conference. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, well, yeah. Well, that okay. So that's what that's that that's one thing. Yeah, but uh, she also talked to sister about the piglet. Um, but the when you when you look at the um, you know, okay, I'm not involved with this directly very much. I I, I help a little bit, you know. When we have to move the pigs, is when we have to move the pigs a distance, I'm one of the ones holding the so-called pig board, and you know, basically steering the pigs in the right direction. It's fun, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting when you observe the things. What, what farmers always did and how nature works, you feel much more rooted to God's creation. Mm. And it's no accident. And then when you look at the official prayers, like the rogation prayers, the, their prayers for blessings on the crops and, 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 and uh, you know, I think maybe animal husbandry gets its, its turn in those prayers as well. But the, certainly the fields are blessed. We realize more our dependence directly on God. Now we have this we have this fake sense of security in modernity that we you know well we have indoor plumbing and we have you know big buildings that can protect us and we have um, grocery stores packed with foods and you know hey we have one hundred and fifty eight thousand kinds of breakfast cereal we we must really be the land of plenty. Well, we also know that those supply chains 
uh, are only last so long. You know, when you don't have those trucks rolling and those train boxcars running in and resupplying the grocery stores, uh, like on a what is it, a daily basis, weekly basis, whatever. There's only like a couple of weeks of food there, and then people start starving. So we have this artificial sense of security, whereas our forebears who could at any moment, you know, suffer drought or some pestilence, some blight, something like that, they didn't have that sense of security. And they realized we better pray. You know, we better pray. We also better use our brains. We better prepare. We, we better not be monoculture when it comes to our crops, you know, because if a blight affects one thing, it won't affect everything else. So we better have a variation in our in our crop cultures. Right. Um, and in our animals as well. Um, my my point in saying this is it, a lot of people have gone back to the land or or if they haven't full blown gone back to the land, they've incorporated some animal husbandry or uh, growing gardens like you and Maggie have done. I guess y'all did that even before this stuff. But people are, when they do that, and when you're worshiping in the traditional rites of the church, the dots start getting connected. There you go. And to me, that's a beautiful thing. It is. So the the Rogation days mean more to me now than they used to. So do the Ember days. I, I could uh, tell you, Brother Andre and Marie from the St. Benedict Center are on a Wisdom Wednesday, host of Reconquest here on the Crusade Channel. If you like what you're hearing, you have a duty to sign up today. Uh, I need uh, 996 new members, Twix, now, and uh, our break between Christmas and Epiphany. And you need to be in that number today. Go to crusadechannel.com forward slash join and join today. No excuses. If you can't afford it, send me an email. No questions asked. We will make it possible, but I will get you signed up today. KingDude at MikeChurch.com, or you can call Maggie O'Connell. Call her right now. Go ahead. Try, try it. See. 844-527-8723 on our call in line telephone number. Uh, brother, I want to switch gears here. There's so much we could talk about here, but just to put a coda on what you just said, um, that there, there, there's there's a bunch of cliches and expressions we could use. Uh, you uh, you made a neologism when you said D city slickerfied. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's what Kevin Gutzman would call or Jefferson would call it neologism. Uh, yeah, yeah, neologism is just a, a new word. Yeah. Right, right, right. I love neologism. Oh, well, here's a new neologism: recountrified <laughs> or recountrinated. So I believe, and I think I see this recountrified, which also could be a piece of chicken, uh, and recountrinated as something that is, as they say, that dog or the, or the, the uh, that horse has left the barn. That cat cannot be put back in the bag. I think these idiots that are behind all this, uh, this evil and the demons that inspire them are ultimately going to rue the day that they launched the Rockefeller report found uh, Rockefeller Foundation report of 2011 and went and told all themselves this is the time this is the moment we're all in because they are this is the event the event's not coming this is their full on new world order great reset new normal whatever in Hades you want to call it doesn't matter this is their event it has all the markings of it this is their event. 
they're going to rue the day, or God's going to make them rue the day, provided that we cooperate uh, with God and with His nature, nature, and, and His and, and nature's law. Uh, they will rue the day that they did this. You can see this in just the sheer amount now of people that are asking questions, those that are there to answer the questions, and I believe most people are sincere in this. Okay, tell me another way. Here's what I'm doing. I think it's wrong. What should I do? Brother, That it's undeniable to me that that's out there now, and it wasn't. I can tell you, I've been doing this for 30 years. i got a pretty good thumb on what's being talked about or what has been talked about. This has not been on the table. Nothing remotely like it has been on the table in my entire lifetime, certainly during my broadcasting vocation. This is real. This is a real event. It is a real change, I think, in uh, what's the term that they use? Um, <clears throat> it's, it's a pragmatic change. It's, it, it's changing the process by which many people actually approach life, approach the faith, as you said. Uh, and I think that that's uh, ultimately a beautiful and a good thing. Um, and I think uh, it pretends uh, great or, or, or great things, great events down the road. To that end, there's a guy that wrote a book, and Dan Monday, Farmer Monday, turned me on to this. And uh, uh, we're going to have it. I got confirmation yesterday in the Founders Trading Post. Um, you're all going to want to get a copy of this book. And uh, the book is uh, uh, Enduring uh, enduring Trades, I believe. And uh, the fascinating thing about this book, and I talked a little bit about it yesterday, is that the guy that uh, that uh, that wrote the book, his um, he starts the the introduction to the book is just would just blow you away if you read it. Uh, the introduction to the book is a kind of a recap of where we are historically speaking. It's called uh, Rory Graves is the author. The book is Durable Trades, Family-Centered Economies that Have Stood the Test of the Time. This guy paints a historical picture, brother, and he says throughout civilization, he identifies them by name. There are 70 vocations that you could find in any successful civilization at any point in time, and they're still here today. Today, though, According to the IRS, there are 39,000 occupations. Whereas in 1820, at the census, there were the 70. Uh, we're, people are going back to the 70. What an irony that the, there's an app for that, right? That all this technology that was going to liberate us from being humans, basically... Uh, has been tried, and as Chesterton once <laughs> said, uh, has been tried and found uh, uh, not not uh, uh, what, what did he say? Not not wanting, but not tried. Uh, yeah, well, he said the Catholic faith wasn't tried and found wanting. It wasn't tried and and, and was condemned or something like that. It was well, more clever than that. It's getting another go around. I think it's going to be tried, and I think people are trying it, and that's the upshot of all that. 
Um, to that end, since it's Wisdom Wednesday, and I wanted uh, to talk a little bit about this, to that end, those people that are our techno, medical, science, oligarchs, ruling elite masters who sneer down their noses at us and at God, um, <clears throat> they are ultimately, right now, as I speak, committing the same sins that the Muslims after Muhammad committed and that the Chinese uh, to this day, because of their mysticism, commit. And that is, even though, e even if they stumble upon some scientific or natural uh, or some discovery uh, of science in the natural world, uh, their ability to harness it and, uh, uh, and to utilize it and take advantage of it is severely limited and their civilization can't advance, if you will, because they reject the final cause. And a man that you have uh, interviewed and uh, greatly admire, Dr. Wolfgang Smith, has, is one of the smartest men alive, has come to this conclusion that the final cause, it, it, until the final cause is uh, put back into the scientific method, uh, what did he say? Quantum physics? Is that an end? Is that what he says? Did he write a book called that? Well, he wrote a book called The End of Quantum Physics. Yes. And he and he's being clever and he's being clever with his use of the word end. I mean, he's he's he knows he knows philosophy. Uh, so he knows that telos in Greek means more than just it being finished. You know, it, you know, it, it, it's it, it is no more. Uh, the end means the purpose for which some the end is the final cause. Right. Uh, so that, so that's what so I mean he he's he's not so much talking about final causality he's talking about what he calls uh, vertical causality as opposed to horizontal causality which is kind of the scientific uh, outlook on on reality um, when he talks about vertical vertical causality he's speaking of in large part he's speaking of the relationship between metaphysics and physics where where uh, concepts like form and matter enter in uh, to consideration of uh, the realities that we know through quantum physics, which is a legitimate science. I mean, he's not, I think people misunderstand. They think he's attacking quantum physics. He's no, not. he's not. He, he's, 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 he's saying, yeah, this brought us some really valid knowledge. And it, without that knowledge, we wouldn't uh, be able to use some of the, Mike, without that knowledge, we wouldn't be able to use the technology we're using right now. If Correct. the math didn't work in quantum physics, these gadgets that we're, we're so happily using now wouldn't work. Correct. But the difference is that, that, um, that to understand the data that they present us with, which, which seem very challenging to the human intellect, um, like if you look just at the Schrodinger's cat thing, um, you know, it, it that that raw data without without metaphysical considerations would lead you to some pretty stunning uh, stunningly bad and illogical and 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 contrary to reason, contrary to observed fact kind of conclusions. So uh, it's only when you introduce the sound metaphysics into it that you make sense of it. And so he's saying physics is at a place now where it needs metaphysics. Metaphysics needs to be re-enshrined where it belongs above physics, which when he's saying that, he's 
he's sort of punning off of the very meaning of the word metaphysics, that it's above physics. And when we talk about this, when I, when I talk about this, Father, uh, Father Robinson of the SSPX wrote a book called The Hitchhiker's Guide to Science and Religion. Uh, this is the book that caused a lot of controversy with Hugh Owen and uh, uh, Dr. Sengenis and those from the uh, St. Maximilian Kolbe Center for the Study and Defense of Creation because Father Robinson says that in one chapter of the book, he, he, it's a great book until you, I thought it was, until you get to the chapter about, okay, Noah's flood was, was local and you are not required as an article of your salvation or of faith to believe that Noah's flood uh, uh, existed at, or it happened 6,000, 7,000 years ago, as Genesis purports to say. We don't have to have a discussion about that. But Father Robinson did a whole chapter on, okay, what happened to the thriving, flourishing civilization that was China? China. And what happened to the somewhat uh, thriving civilization that were uh, the uh, uh, Islam or Muslims before Muhammad. And Father Robinson goes through a little bit of the history there, and he says they started that they began to reject the final cause. The Muslims, for their part, they found the final cause is in that, okay, because Allah wills it. You can't go anywhere with the discovery because Allah wills it, and they haven't, and they're not going to. My, my point in bringing that up, brother, is not to have the, a vainglorious discussion about this, but that there has been so much science, supposed scientific progress, as you just mentioned, we wouldn't have these technologies that we're using today. Um, we may be at the nadir. This may be the end, especially with the, the, the people that are in charge of, quote, science these days. If these people remain in charge, they're going nowhere other than to use previous knowledge to diabolical ends for this. Uh, because they're completely now divorcing themselves from reality and certainly from God's reality and his nature and from the final cause. So those that think the robots are going to rule the earth and AI and all that, if they keep rejecting and just saying, well, the final, I don't need the final cause, they're not going anywhere with all that they have is the point. So our previous conversation about, well, maybe some of what we need to do going forward is looking backwards. And that's why I asked you to discuss it. Yeah, well, I mean, the, 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 if we don't understand uh, final causality uh, as, as the cause of causes, as Aristotle called it, we're really not going to make sense of the, of the universe. Um, there, is, there is order in the universe there is logos to the universe uh, because it was created by a knowing m mind. And God, as it were, knew it into existence. It exists because he knew it. And we can know it because it's the product of a knowing mind. And if we don't see teleology in the universe, if we don't see uh, that highest cause of final causality, purpose, then we really don't know what it's for. And if that's the case, we're going to tinker with it in a, in a way that's not appropriate. We're going to make nuclear bombs. We're going to, un, we're going to unleash forces that were not meant to be tampered with. And, and, we, and, and this is not just destructive of, of nature. This is destructive of us because we are nature. We, are part, we were part of that nature that God created. Uh, so uh, it, it, this is part of that deracination, you know, that, 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 that cutting off from the roots that I spoke of earlier. Uh, this is something Joseph Pieper writes about 
constantly, uh, being rootless and restless. I mean, and that's what we've made ourselves. We made our because we've cut ourselves off from nature. And philosophically, one of the best ways to cut yourself off from nature is to cut yourself off from teleology, from the purpose that exists in creation. And once you cut that off, then yeah, you don't you don't have a sense of of uh, final causality, and you don't and you don't have a sense of 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 reality of of where of purpose of where this whole thing's going. Why are people blowing their brains out? Because you can only take so much suffering. When you don't have a sense of purpose, if you have a sense of purpose, you can take a lot of suffering. Yes, but but if but if but if the question keeps coming to your mind, what, what you know, what's this all for? Why bother? There's no purpose, right? If that's the question that's nagging at you, well, of course you're going to blow your brains out when things get really difficult. It's, it's suicides like guaranteed at that point, at least a certain amount of them. Because people have lost, they've they've lost their sense of purpose, and uh, so this is something that Brother Francis spoke of, as you recall from listening to those lectures, quite a bit. I mean, when you you know, it's it is spiritual suicide to 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 shave off that loss of purpose. Now, I do have to say that that Muhammad, that the Mohammedans, the, the Muslims, they didn't deny final causality; they denied the other causes. Formal? They denied. They well, they denied uh, uh, the, the what we call secondary causes, which includes all the others. And, and, you know, you don't when you deny. See, here's the thing: when you believe in formal causality, as we do, I mean, excuse me, final causality, as we do, you don't dismiss the others. You simply put them in their proper place. Yes, there is material causality. You know, Jesus Christ had a body. Well, there was a material cause uh, to the incarnation, and it was that 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 prime matter that went into the flesh, that the 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 uh, embryonic Christ took upon Himself in the womb of the Blessed Virgin. So uh, we believe in material causality. We believe in formal causality. We believe in um, efficient causality. Efficient, right? And efficient causality is generally where we see most of what we call secondary causality taking place. You know, I made this chair. Well, you know, God didn't come down and make this chair pop into existence. You know, Allah did not will this chair into existence. Now, uh, but I mean, final causality. Well, of course. Yeah, it, it, the, the chain of causality that went into this chair started with God, right? Uh, without him, I wouldn't have had the wood to make it or whatever. Um, uh, but what I, without it, I wouldn't exist so that I could make it, right? So, so ultimately, he is the uncaused cause. Um, uh, so this is why he is the he is the final final cause. Uh, but but we. Um, are secondary causes. So, but you can't deny the fact that we actually there is such a thing as secondary causality. And if you very pietistically throw all that stuff out and say, no, 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 it's just God, it's just God, well, you end up being a heretic. So, because God created a nature in which there there are the other causes at work. Brother Francis Malouf, our mentor, had a very uh, succinct way of remembering that and putting it. And I'm trying to remember, brother, I'm probably going to mess it up so you can correct me. Uh, the thing that is first in thought is last in execution? Or is it the thing that's last in execution? Well, okay, so, so you got it, basically, but it's the, the, the thing that's first in intention is last in execution. It's beautiful. And when you think about it, you're like, okay, yeah, I get it. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, because because I mean, you know, well, okay, so we're so you're going to make a road trip. You and you and Maggie and whoever else might be in the car in the in the in the caravan are going to make a road trip to St. Benedict Center. Well, you're not just going to be, you know, I mean, no matter how many stops you might make at microbreweries or whatever on the way lots, up. Lots, lots. That okay? Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, that's not the purpose of the trip. Uh, you know, you wouldn't be getting in the car and turning on the key and and turning in the in the, the ways you are if you if your final causality of that trip weren't I have a purpose and my purpose is to go to to go to Richmond, New Hampshire, to go to St. Benedict Center. So that's what that's what purpose is. That's what final causality is. It's a simple concept, but when you when you take you know look at the complex um, you know look at traffic you know look at some complicated you know take. Take the um, oh, I'm just going to uh, throw out something that I that I that I can identify. Take the Marquette Exchange, which is near. Um, it's in Wisconsin. It's near. Um, um, oh, what is it? Um, not Madison. Um, the other town, uh, Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Um, so the Marquette Exchange is called the Marquette Exchange. It's named after Pere Marquette. I'd ha- it so happens that I know the people who built the dang thing with like tons of concrete. Uh, the family are benefactors of ours from way back. But when you look at the Marquette Exchange, you've got all these like clover leaf, you know, exits and entrances and stuff. Uh, it's this web of highways and interstates that all come together uh, in this part of Wisconsin. And the way that they had to, to, to rebuild the thing so that it wasn't this, this confused like spaghetti salad um, was inc- took an incredible amount of engineering and yeah, tons and tons and tons of concrete. But when you look at it, you might say, well, this looks chaotic. You know, all these people going all these different directions. It's crazy. Well, every single one of those people who's, who's driving each one of those cars has a sense of purpose. I'm going to work. You know, I had to go from point A to point B. That's my Talos. I'm I'm going from you know my house in this little suburb of Milwaukee to the place where I work downtown or whatever. Um, the, the, each one has a talos. Each one has an end. Each one has a purpose, and that's true of the entirety of nature. And God built nature with purposes into it. And in fact, ultimately, there's that highest purpose of purposes in nature, which is to give glory to God. And 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 wrapped up in that most intimately is the supernatural salvation of the human race to the making of saints. And when we realize that there is this hierarchy of purpose and once we understand purpose, we're not done because we have to understand, OK, there's God's ultimate purpose because we have secondary purposes. Right. Don't we like like I got to get to work. You got to get to St. Benedict Center. Well, St. Benedict Center is not heaven, Mike. So the purpose of your life, <laughs> the entire purpose of your life will not be fulfilled when you and Maggie get here, although it might seem that way for a little bit. Um, but uh, so the, the, the when you look at the hierarchy of purposes that exists, we realize that ultimately, as far as creation goes, the whole the whole major bit of it after the glory of God is the salvation and the happiness of man. And happiness, meaning in salvation, in the beatific vision. So these are the things that we need to recover, you know. So, so, and I say, I say that the the deracination the, the that much of modernity has done to us, the 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 un- uprooting of us, and and the and the and the making us restless with with all this 
addiction that we have to technology um, and and a, a technology that takes us away from higher things, uh, I say that all of that has has truncated our sense of purpose. And it yeah, it's providential that now we have to sort of do without some of this stuff and and, and go and and in some instances go back to the land and get more rooted in 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 the land. And ironically, when you're rooted in the land, it makes you look up more. There you There's go. Something to that, uh, brother. What did you? What, Rick Delano's movie uh, featuring Dr. Wolfgang Smith. You remember the title? Oh dear. Because uh, I'm fishing uh, for it and I can't think of it. Um, but for those of you that were looking for a good documentary, that's a really good one. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of embarrassed because I bought it and I know it's the in end, my, the end of quantum reality. End of quantum reality. Um, uh, and Rick has several uh, uh, good movies on the subject. Uh, the the principle that's one. Uh, and the amazing thing about Rick's body of work the last ten years is they all kind of go back to the same theme, which is yes, we have Newtonian physics, and yes, the computations work. However, uh, there's no proof that because Newtonian physics and the computations work for satellites and what have you. That d does not equal heliocentrism. Now, you can argue this point to the end of, uh, of, of to the final judgment, and, that, and then we will finally know. But his point about uh, about all this is that the conclusions that are being based upon it are are they're bogus. They're bogus. Man is not in some far corner of 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 a uh, of a galaxy somewhere that's insignificant. We're in the most significant place. <laughs> and every time they send a satellite up to go prove it wrong, it gets even more focused and clear uh, that, no, we're in the middle of it. You're, you're, you couldn't, if you tried, you couldn't put this solar system and even this planet at a more central location. If that doesn't even uh, remotely imply uh, 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 man and uh, man's exalted nature in the Imago Day, and that we are important. We are the subject of God's creation, uh, and He loves us, uh, and He wants us to uh, to be able to return home. Uh, it's a great body of work. Rick Delano, D E L A N O. He's got a website for the quantum physics movie, but is it quantum physics movie? Uh, the name of the film is The End of Quantum Physics. I, I think and if you, but, but I think that that's the website. If you search for The End of Quantum Physics, you'll find the film. Uh, watch it with your with your teenage kids or that you're homeschooling or maybe that are confused a little bit. Brother, one final thing, and then we'll find out what's coming up on today's tonight's episode of Recon. It's The End of Quantum Reality. End of Quantum that's Reality. Okay. The end of quantum reality. If you guys are not fans of G.K. Chesterton, you need to become. Uh, I am reading at the suggestion of Kennedy Hall, and we have the book in the Founders Trading Post now, alongside the four cardinal virtues of Joseph Pieper. Thank you very much. Both in stock. Um, <clears throat> I reordered both this week, so they're both coming in. Uh, Chesterton's The Everlasting Man book is... I can't wait to get more into it because more I read it, going I go like yes, yes. It is the ultimate smackdown uh, Darwinian evolution. 
And brother, I just wanted to pass this on because, and I don't have the book here in front of me, so I'd have to paraphrase. But Chesterton begins the demolition of Darwinian evolution with the infamous or the famous cave paintings that supposedly show Cro-Magnon or Australopithecan or Europithecan man, right? And then all yeah. of these urban legends that come out that the caveman went down to the river and assaulted and ultimately basically raped the cave woman and dragged her by the hair. And this was a very violent society and they had no rules and this and that and the other. And Chesterton just in his Chestertonian way just says all the painting shows is and then this is the point that, in the book that I'm in. And I laughed out loud last night right before bed when I was reading it. And he goes, the only thing that we can actually know from the cave painting of the field, the man with the bow or with the spear and the deer is that the man could paint and the deer couldn't. <laughs> just, goes, there's, no, there's nothing else to see here or know other than the primal, the principal re revelation here is that the man could paint but the deer couldn't. I, I'm just going like that, and that he goes. That's all you can know from this painting. Uh, and then it, then he's and some other quips in there about how the man was smart enough to find a cave to get out of the weather, and the deer, <laughs> the, the deer apparently didn't. Uh, in any event, we have the book in the Founder's Trading Post now. G.K. Chesterton's The Everlasting Man. It is the first 30 pages or any indication. Uh, it is a uh, just a, a treasure chest of Chestertonian uh, of Chestertonian prose against, and I guess he's writing against H.G. Uh, Wells, who was a big Darwin uh, Darwinian uh, at the time. Uh, so you can get it in the Founders Trading Post at shop.mikechurch.com. Brother, what's on tonight's episode of Reconquest? Is this part two of your solo series? This is yeah. This is part two of what is prudence tonight. Part two of what is prudence. So, and this is based loosely on Peeper's work, the Cardinal Virtues. Uh, well, it it, it it it's not so loosely, but yeah, it's based upon that heavily. Okay, so if you want to follow along. Get the book, The Four Cardinal Virtues, which I went out of my way, stopped what I was doing a couple of weeks ago and opened an account up at the University of Notre Dame Press so that you have access to that book. You can buy it in paperback at shop.mikechurch.com. Uh, finally, we have the ad running now on the Crusade Channel for the St. Benedict Center Conference. And, uh, brother, you just want to give them a quick update or a quick plug on why they should go and make plans to go Richmond, New Hampshire, and come hang out with all of us in a couple of weeks? Well, because uh, because as we say in, in Louisiana, we're going to pass a good time, Chef. <laughs> um, but well, it's not just going to be a, it's not just going to be a fun time. We're we're going to have some, I think, some excellent presentations from uh, some really good speakers. I mean, John, I'm excited that we got John Sharp uh, back on the program this year, and his. His uh, his talk alone will probably be worth the price of admission. I'll take my stand the case for ideological intransigence as the response to the moral death of modern society. Um, and, um, you know, we're going to have Charles Cologne, uh sort of videoed in 
Dr. David Lang, who everybody I think got a, got a uh, a lot out of last year. Yep. He he can talk about uh, exalted metaphysical concepts and not lose the audience and even make you laugh along the way. Um, and of course, Joe Doyle, who's a walking encyclopedia of all of all things c- culture w- culture warish. Yep. And by the way, Pope Francis apparently told us uh, from Slovakia that we shouldn't use the cross as, as a political symbol. Of course, he's speaking in a country that has the cross on its flag. Um, <laughs> and he also he he also said that uh, that that we we should t- we should live the life of the Beatitudes, not not the life of culture wars. Which the fact that he can see that as in contradiction to each other shows me that we have a problem, right? So that's not a conflict. Yes, we should be living the life of the Beatitudes. But but the fact of the matter is when you're living the life of the Beatitudes and um, you, you're in conflict with a world that hates the Beatitudes and that hates Jesus Christ, there is going to be conflict and there is going to be culture war. And you darn right the churches should be involved in culture wars. Uh, if the church isn't involved in the culture war, the culture war is going to happen anyway, uh, and we lose, right? Right. So, but along the way, we should be living the life of the Beatitudes, and that is really wrapped up in a lot of what we're considering here. Because, because unlike some folks and unlike some movements, we're not just chest beating, saying, "Yeah, we're going to resist, resist, resist," and we're going to just, you know, um, you know, like like these people. I don't know if you saw a video of those people opposing Biden's vax mandate stuff marching across a bridge yesterday and they're chanting F Joe Biden. Only they <laughs> said the word. Um, and uh, yeah, the, 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 where's that going to get you? Nowhere. You know, it's just, it, it gives them some, some empty temporary sense of catharsis and that's it. Well, no, we have to have both. We have to have an opposition to what Christ's enemies are doing to us. Yes, we have to have that. And at the same time, we have to be striving to have a life of holiness. We have to have that ultimate teleology in our minds as we're fighting the current battles right in front of our faces. But let's not be myopic, right? Let's have that eternal view. As my old friend Robert Hicks used to constantly say, let's take the long view. And that's a lot of what our conference is about. Yeah, I mean, if you if you want to have uh, what we call what we're calling the virtue skills and Catholic good sense for flourishing amid the madness. That flourishing, to have that flourishing, we must have the long view of what's this stuff all about. What is our ultimate purpose? So it's not just let's oppose, you know, some James Bond, the latest James Bond villain uh, of Klaus Schwab, you know. Well, Klaus Schwab's going to die and, and meet his maker and go to his judgment. Yes, he will. Pretty soon. So he's going to pass out of the picture and he really doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, he matters to him. I mean, he matters to God, too. But I mean, what I mean is, in the big picture, he doesn't matter very much. Uh, Bill Gates, too. He's going to kick the bucket one of these days and, and, and you know, go, go where all old computer parts go. Um, <laughs> and you're going to have s- similar people, you know, uh, the, uh, it, it, they, they'll, they'll change. So we'll have new enemies, right? But if we don't have that long view and what the ultimate purpose is, we're toast, you know? And and, uh, and that, 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 I think, is something that this conference has to offer. So go to Catholicism.org. It's at the top of the page, uh, the St. Benedict Center Conference. Uh, you can click that link, and you can sign up. There may be a couple, a couple of other uh, backbenchers that will be speaking there, David Simpson and yours truly. <laughs> you know, a couple well, of guys, a couple of towel boys. Yeah. 
<laughs> Yours truly is speaking there too. I didn't mention myself. I, I'm just messing. Uh, looking forward to it. There's there's so much more that we could uh, talk about here uh, on uh, Wisdom Wednesday, but I strongly suggest that you get the uh, uh, the book, the Four Cardinal Virtues, and uh, the other book that I suggested, the um, the dur uh, the the, <clears throat> the durability of trades. Um, and we're going to get Mr. Mr. Grover on uh, the, the program soon. All these things are uh, not coincidentally related. And they are also, as Chesterton might say, not coincidentally relatable. <laughs> and as somebody put in the chat room, it wasn't that the Australopithecan man painted a picture of a deer on a cave poorly and then Europithecan man came upon it and painted a better picture of a deer. <laughs> The fact is, is that there's only one cave painting of a deer. <laughs> you know, I just, uh, I, I, I love the way uh, someone with a mind like Chesterton, and that's why Brother Francis loved him so much, I'm sure, can just look at these convoluted modern blasphemies and, you know, the, the, these flashes of science, of, 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 uh, of, of scientific brilliance, and look at it and go like, uh, no, that's pretty stupid, actually, and here's why. <laughs> it's not complicated. As I say often, these people that are ruling us, they are not smart. They aren't. They have a central diabolical intelligence from which they're drawing their uh, some of their energy and their, their, uh, their uh, wicked inspiration. These aren't smart people because if they were, they'd be out in the world producing things that smart people do, which might even be a new way to move chicken coops around a yard, uh, something that people don't think about these days. Or oh, wait do, you, wait do you see our chick our chickshaws, Mike? You'll love them. Can't wait. All right, brother, I got to go. Uh, thank you very much. Another Wisdom Wednesday in the books. All of them on the website, crusadechannel.com, are available. You can watch or you can listen to all of them free of charge crusadechannel.com and you need to be a member to get all of the episodes of Reconquest which you can get crusadechannel.com as well. Brother, we shall see you soon. God bless you, Mike. God bless all our listeners. All right, God Ciao. bless. Yeah, thank you very much.